Okay. It's not saying anything. Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with this. It's a Streams in the Desert by a lady called uh, Mrs. Charles Cow Cowan. Cowan. Know anybody know it? Yes. And today it says, Dad the ploughman plough all day to sow. One day in early summer I walked past a beautiful meadow. The grass was as soft and thick and fine as an immense green oriental rug. In one corner stood a fine old tree, a sanctuary for numberless wild birds. The crisp, sweet air was full of their happy songs. Two cows lay in the shade, the very picture of content. And he talks about how lovely it was. He was looking at this beautiful meadow. Then the next day I passed that way again, and lo, the hand of the despoiler had been there. A ploughman and his great plough, now standing idle in the furrow, had in a day wrought terrible havoc. Instead of the green grass there was turned up to view the ugly bare brown earth, and instead of the singing birds there were only few hens industriously scratching for worms. Then my eyes were, how could anyone spoil a thing so fair? Then my eyes were opened by some unseen hand, and I saw a vision, a vision of a ripe field of corn ready for the harvest. I could see the giant heavily laden stalks in the autumn sun. I could almost hear the music of the wind as it would sweep across the golden tassels. And before I was aware, the brown earth took on a splendour it hadn't had the day before. Oh, that we might always catch the vision of an abundant harvest! When the great master ploughman comes, as he often does, and furrows through our very souls, uprooting and turning under that which we thought most fair, and leaving for our tortured gaze only the bare and unbeautiful. And another bit, why should I start at the plough of my Lord that maketh the deep furrows on my soul? I know he is no idle husbandman, he purposeth a crop. And I know that the words that are coming across here are making furrows. They're turning the earth over uh, and they're going deep. I remember early on in my Christian walk when I was going through such difficulties and I didn't understand what I was going through. The Lord suddenly gave me a picture of a freshly turned field and all I saw was this one furrow where the plough had gone right deep and turned it right over. So what he's doing right now here is ploughing a furrow in your heart for a crop because he's never purposeless. And a couple of days beyond that, in uh, I just happened to turn to it just now on July the 5th. That was today's reading. Therefore I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and I will give her her vineyards from thence, which is Hosea 2, 14 and 15, and you heard Graham speak to that. A strange place to find vineyards in the wilderness, and can it be that the riches which a soul needs can be obtained in the wilderness, which stands for a lonely place, out of which you can seldom find your way? It would only seem, it would seem so, and not only that, but the valley of Achor, which means bitterness, is called a door of hope. And there she shall sing, as in the days of her youth. Yes, God knows our need of the wilderness experience. He knows where and how to bring out that which is enduring. The soul has been idolatrous, rebellious, has forgotten God, and with a perfect self-will has said, I will follow after my lovers. But she did not overtake them. 
And when she was hopeless and forsaken, God said, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her. What a loving God is ours. We never know where God hides his pools. We see a rock and we cannot guess it is the home of a spring. We see a flinty place and we cannot tell it is the hiding place of a fountain. God leads me into the hard places and then I find I have gone into the dwelling place of eternal springs. Very interesting. So we're looking at a starting, startlingly new revelation of Jesus and um, Oswald Chambers says the same thing. Suddenly we see Jesus completely differently, that his face is as flint as he sets his face to go to Jerusalem and the disciples don't recognise this Jesus at all, the Jesus that's been with them uh, because he has set his face as flint to go on the purpose of dying. That's why he's setting his face like that. But they don't understand. And Rick Joyner, also a prophetic writer, said in Mobilising the Army of God again in 1994, the Lord does want to meet people's needs, and he's obviously best at this, but he doesn't meet them in a way that only feeds our self-centeredness. The church in the West is almost completely unprepared for difficulties, and we are entering a time of great trouble. The Lord is going to build a church that actually thrives on opposition and trouble. His people will look at the greatest difficulties, just like Joshua and Caleb looked at the giants in the promised land, declaring they will be bread for us. The battle you are in will soon become a meal to you, an experience that will nourish you and build you up spiritually. We can't avoid spiritual warfare. We're caught up in a global battle between the forces of good and evil, and we can't avoid it, but we can be prepared for it. And the first thing that jo God did when Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land was to circumcise all the men, thus rendering them powerless in the battle and there were giants in the land. We have to understand the ways of our God. Our soul power has to be broken and submitted to the Spirit of God. That's what that picture that Lola had about the dolly, just completely like a little jelly, like a rag dolly, not able to do anything. That is how we have to become in the hands of our God. All the time we can say, it's okay, God got it, I can do it. You're not there because you can't do it. Like Graham said on that CD, he leads us to do things that we cannot possibly do. I can't do what I'm doing here this morning. Um... The anguish that I go through before I come down to sit in this chair, he needs to be seen to be believed, really. Because he sees this message into my heart, and, into it, and I know what he wants to bring forth. But I'm constantly beseeching him. It will come through in balance, the fact that God loves us, but he cannot leave us in this place where the centre of ourselves is ourself. He can't leave us there, because that place is a place of powerlessness. You've only got your flesh. You cannot, that will count you nothing. We have to be able to move across and into that place where the flesh is under our control. And we rule it, it doesn't rule us. And many things 
I wanted to draw it out, I don't know where I've put it, many things that we actually look at and admire in other people. Oh, here it is. Came to me this morning. We must stop. We must absolutely stop putting people on pedestals because of what we perceive they are in God. Um, what we perceive as spiritual may well just be fleshly effort. You know, oh, she fasts two or three days a week. You know, oh, how spiritual. Well, she may be fasting, but if she isn't fasting because God's asked her, it counts for nothing. It's wood, hay and stubble. We spoke to someone recently who um, we held in high esteem and still do, even more probably now because of what they said. And for years they'd done this particular practice. Let's say it was fasting. And God suddenly spoke to them and said, you're proud of that. You're secretly quite proud that you do that fasting or whatever it was. And she said, I had to repent. I've stopped. Counted for nothing. Yet we look at it and we think, oh my. And I'm, I've, two things happen to me. My blood runs cold when I hear it. <laughs> and I get quite cross. Because that scripture that came to me this morning, let not the wise man you know, boast in his wisdom or glory in his wisdom or the rich man glory in his riches, but let him boast, boast that he knows and understands me. It's ever so common in the church that we put people on pedestals. The most favourite one I've heard recently, which absolutely I thought, well, how can you say that in the same breath, was a pastor that was committing adultery and this woman said to me, oh, he's a godly man. I thought, excuse me? He can't be. He's a man who's walking under double standards. Give me a break. He might get up in the pulpit and bring a good word on a Sunday because the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. But his character leaves a little bit to be desired. We have these sayings, and beloved, we have got to drop them. We have to have eyes for him alone and be father pleasers. We must not put people on pedestals. It's absolutely, I cannot emphasise it enough. As one who's been stuck on a pedestal without knowing it once or twice and fallen flat on my face because God had to do that in order to show the person who was sticking me there that I was the same as they were. You know? These people that we hold in high esteem, I mean, bless people, be positive with them, but do not in your mind elevate them. It's, it's the flesh when you start to elevate someone. It's our fallen nature. What we must do is to esteem one another high, higher than, you know, like I would say, well, Lola's better at this than I am. Because she is. Prophecy, Lola's the girl you want. Ruth's the girl you want. She's better at it than I am. You see, I, I'm recognising and making room for somebody else's gifting because I know what I can't do. I'm not altogether sure what I can do, but I'm sure what they can do because I've seen them do it. So that makes... <laughs> Do you see the difference? It's a subtle difference between actually celebrating what the gift that God has given them and giving them the opportunity and, and allowing them to move in that 
and saying, oh, well, Lola's such a godly woman, you know. And we all have a quiet silence for a minute thinking, I wonder what that means. Anyway, I won't bang that drum anymore, but just be aware. Ask the Lord. And in your own life, if you're doing something, Gurley rang me up the other day. I think I said it yesterday, didn't I say about fasting? She was fasting and God said, what's your motive? And it was to lose weight. <laughs> Wrong motive for fasting. Anyway, there we are. So the first thing God did when Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land was to circumcise all the men. And we want to hear Graham on that one. I, won't, I can't even begin to mimic what he does, can I? Have you heard his latest version? And it's these two newlyweds, sort of, you know, Sarah and Ephraim, you know, in the tent, and they've not been married very long, and she's got the microwave going updated version. He's really absolutely, he really strings it out, absolute hoot. <laughs> By the time he comes back, she's on the mobile to her mother saying, he's, we haven't been married five minutes, and she's, she's thinking, she's thinking, what's he say? Snuggly thoughts, snuggly cuddly thoughts, she's thinking. <laughs> and he comes back useless. <laughs> Edit that off the thing, would you? <laughs> so, we have to understand the ways of God. Do you know, the Israelites knew his works, but Moses knew his ways. The Israelites saw the provision, the manner, their shoes never wore out, they had water, they had everything they needed, they saw his works, and what were the end of the day? They all had to die in the wilderness because of their unbelief. But Moses knew his ways. If you're going to pray anything, don't ask to see his works. Ask to know his ways. So this whole week is about possessing the land and regaining our own inner territory. Because as Graham would say, we can't take ground from the devil if he's got ground in us. And we are regaining it from the devil who has had it since the Garden of Eden. You see, our old Adamic nature is our old Adamic nature. And if it's Adamic, then it's the enemy. And when we fell, God said to Satan, on your belly you will go and dust will be your food. And my question to you is, how long are you going to be lunch for the enemy? Because dust, which is what we are, is his food. So if you are in your flesh, in your carnal nature, in your old Adam, your food, it legitimately can come and have a gnaw at you with that. And... Uh, he will torment you. So it's just a thought. When we fell, our whole human nature became contaminated by the first Adam. Jesus is the second Adam and he sent the Holy Spirit to decontaminate our thinking, our attitudes, our mind, our emotions, our conscience and our will to bring it into loving alignment with the King in order that we may say of a truth we have the mind of Christ. I remember a lady saying right early on in my Christian walk, well, I've got the mind of Christ. I thought you never have. <laughs> you might have it by faith. <laughs> never understood it, understanding it a bit more now. It's a process. So again, I'd let us have a pause here <coughs> and, and have our lunch. Uh, to digest what's just been said and to let you think over again if you're up for the battle. Up for severely damaging the enemy's health. Up for walking and living in the place that Jesus died to give you. And again, it's just between you and him uh, so that you can just do business 
with him. Thank you. Right, off we go then. Um, are we... Uh, no. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes, it's definitely to do with that. Uh, we're wired. We're wired, Joyce, for sound. This is going on the. <laughs> Anybody listening will say, oh, cake goes round with that. Yeah, and tea. Those listening, tea as well. And they've just woken up from a zuz. So I'll give all the game away. Okay, we'll just fly through the characteristics of the wilderness. Only of those of you who have never been there. Desolate. Pardon? Pardon? When have you ever come out? When have you ever come out, right. Desolate, wasteland, lonely. Natural life cannot be supported. It's monotonous and there are no signposts. It's a hostile environment and here you learn survival. God will exchange your inadequacy for vulnerability. You will face the enemy. You will learn to win against him. You will become aware that the I am is with you. Understanding runs out here. <laughs> Even if I don't understand or know, I trust you. It's in this wilderness place that we find him. He has a redemptive purpose in everything he does. He says, I want you to face the worst fear you've got. And then he pulls you through until it has no power over you. The wilderness is a place of stripping and equipping. It's about discovering God, about letting the rubbish out so that the love of God can get in. God does not humble you to show you how bad you are. He humbles you with his beauty. He shows you what's in your heart, whether you will obey. Being humbled is about being faced up with how much God loves us. He says the power of sin will be broken when you understand what I'm like. In the wilderness we learn how to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. It's understanding the cycle of Isaiah 55. If you just turn to that a moment, you'll be familiar with the scripture. Isaiah 55. <coughs> and it's, uh, well, I'll read from verse <coughs> 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That's a tremendously positive scripture. Where it says, uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts, I always used to feel God saying, mutt face, you don't think the way I do, you know, and, and I couldn't understand it until one day he said to me, my ways and my thoughts of love are not your thoughts of love. 
and then I began to understand what he was talking about because it's all the rain coming down to bring forth something makes it bring forth and bud it's always redemptive and positive it's in, in no way the way that I thought he was saying it it wasn't I felt it was sort of wrapping my knuckles but it's not that at all the earth gives back only gives back to heaven what heaven gave in the first place and that is exactly how it is with us we only give back to him what he's we've been able to receive in the first place because until we can receive his love we cannot love him people say oh I love the Lord with all my heart but they don't know him they love what they have an image of him about and when they come to find out who he is then sometimes it's quite shocking to them because they've built this God who allows them to do anything you know uh, and actually when he actually breaks in and shows them himself it's as we said before the truth when it comes is always negative at first it's always negative we always recoil against the truth when we see it for the first time so if God demands love which is Mark 12:30, he's going to give it to you in the first place you can only love him with what he gives you and it takes God to love God you can't give anything back to him that he hasn't given in the first place Everything he wants from you is already given you, so it's his anyway. So if he gives you a job to do, he will give you the tools to do it. The problems come when we try to do a job that he hasn't called us to do, and therefore we don't have the tools to do them, uh, and p disappointment comes in. People say to me, the Lord is a disappointment, and what has happened is that they have made their plans, they have asked him to bless them, and he hasn't. So for them it is a disappointment, but it's because they don't understand him. But Job knew, Moses knew, didn't he? Moses knew his ways. And Job knew that the Lord gives and the Lord's taken away. So, what the purpose is of the wilderness? Whether you are in the wilderness by design or default, be happy. Because God is there with you and he's working his purposes out. And the wilderness is a place of no distraction. As I said this morning, one grain of sand looks very much like another. Wilderness experiences have to come. We're absolutely no good if we're not broken. And that's not broken in a bad sense, not crushed, not a nervous breakdown. That's not what God does to us. But it's our soul that needs to be rendered powerless so that the lighter can't rise, you know? I can remember dancing a fandango on my own coffin and I could hear this sort of... I'm saying, shut up, you're dead. You know, the nails are trying to come up and I'm saying to it, get down. We have to come to the place where we actually step over the line and start agreeing with the Holy Spirit about our old nature. And you draw that line and, you've got, and you step over it and you begin to see... Um, that you've got to actually side with yourself, side with the Holy Spirit against yourself. It's the only way to put the thing under. You used to, you used to try to get the lid up, you know. <sighs> Still does from time to time. But it must yield to the present moment in God. There's an old hymn, Make Me a Captive Lord, anyone know that? Force Me to Render Up My Sword. So the soul must bow to the spirit and stay there. 
And in the wilderness, God is dealing with us. Just just let him. That lady that came back into our lives um, after ten and a half years, she was with us at the flat. She stayed with us for three months there. She had worked with Jackie Pullinger in the walled city for six months over there. And at the time, I mean, all that time ago, I used to wonder, because we did have a bit of a turnout with her when she was very sick one night, didn't we? Ended up at hospital with them, but that's another story. Uh, she was slipping fast. Um, and we were, we were worried, wasn't I? So we, we called an ambulance, took her off to hospital. Anyway, that was something else. But I did wonder then, even then, whether what she was doing was what she wanted to do. Uh, and that maybe it wasn't something that God had called her to do and when she came back after ten and a half years she turned up here she said God she'd been to Uganda left her suitcase there ten and a half years ago and it's still there because she never went back uh, because he called her aside and she's been in that wilderness place for ten and a half years while he's just dealt with her and she's seen now that she you know some were called some were sent some got up and went and she was in the third category <laughs> Uh, so in these days there's no in between you know if he hasn't called you don't go this is the answer just don't go so humility and brokenness is what he's after and he must break our need to control our sin of needing to know and to understand this is the the noddle is the what gets into the way we have to move uh, get away from logic and understanding and into intuition and faith we have to move at the bidding of the lord when we cannot see how this thing's going to work out at the beginning of this year the things that he told me to book and to do i had absolutely you that know me know i had no clue and this whole summer school thing do a summer school i just obeyed I didn't know how it was going to work out. Um, still feeling my way, uh, but there's another one booked now. So that's the way he does it. He tells you to do it, doesn't tell you what, what it's all going to be about. You just book it. I've booked sessions at St Andrews for 10 months next year. I don't know what that's for, but he said book a room once a month. I've been able to book. 10 I couldn't book 12 so there must be a purpose that we can't there's two when we can't go so I don't know what he wants to do but it's not my agenda it's his so he wants to kill stuff off in the wilderness and this may be the second run at the wilderness because at the first run you were pushing in your own strength and that would have resulted in mental emotional and physical exhaustion but the wilderness is about death and resurrection this is always the interesting thing. The enemy will always bang on to you about the cross and not wanting to die and all that. He does not tell you about the resurrection life that comes the other side of the cross. Mm. That is where you are empowered. But the soul has got to die first to bring you through. God will rest from you that which is holding you in order that he may use you. We talked about that coming through the narrow place popping out the other side God always has a purpose and an intent behind everything he does that lovely word that Graham uses intentional towards us still trying to work that one out 
Purposeful, I probably think, would be nice. In Genesis 32:24 to 31, very familiar scripture, Jacob meets his match and he wrestles a man, doesn't he, till daybreak. And he would never be the same again. He was left all alone and they wrestled with him a man all night. And he was a strong man and he was a crafty fellow. He'd bartered with Laban and met his match there. But he also cheated by holding out a stick before the sheep as they were mating, resulting in spotted and straked sheep. And you know the story, he's no slouch. But he meets his match and he's forever changed. He had to wrestle and he finally says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And after that he walked with a limp. And his name was changed to Israel. God strives. And Peniel, where he fought with the angel of the Lord, means face of God. But he said, I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And Jabbok, which I think was the brook where he was, means emptying. So he met his match. He wrestled, he got emptied, God broke him there. There was a total difference ministering from gift and ministering from brokenness. And we stop the flow with our carnality. <laughs> Permission granted. I remember when I was at uh, Church on the Way, when we were still at um, De La Rue Hall, one of the elders came up to me there, put his arm around me and he said... Um, how did he put it now? It was something to do with the fact that God was saying that I was special. But he couldn't swallow that. So he said, yes, Lord, we're all special. And I thought, I know what God's saying to you. But he couldn't get it out because he choked on the fact that God might be saying I was special, which he felt wouldn't include everybody else. So he changed it to... Yes, Lord, we're all special. <laughs> I thought, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> I love him dearly. Oh, dear, so funny. But we stop the flow, you see. That's, that's the flesh getting in the way. We don't agree, actually, with what God's saying. So we edit it a bit, you know. And if he does say a lovely word, we'll bring something a bit sharp in on the end of it to straighten the person out because we think they need, they need straightening out. <laughs> That's it. So God has to hold us back because he can't trust us. It's one thing uh, for us to trust God and it is a totally different thing for him to trust us. That is a scary bit when he, you, he trusts you and I've had people speak words over me that says God is trusting you with this nothing. Oh no. Because I'm thinking what a person to trust with it, you know. <laughs> because that is that is scary so we need to know what's in our hearts uh, the favourite thing of my, that my people say to me God knows my heart and my answer to that is he sure does it's a cesspit <laughs> we have to live in reality a person that said that to me years ago I mean I had a dream about them and I'm not going to go into it in leadership God knows my heart but fighting with the other man who was in leadership and I thought, he sure does know your heart. And it's not pretty. <laughs> it was, he was actually justifying himself, you know, but it was not good. So the wilderness is a hostile environment 
where you seriously find out what's in your heart. The pressure reveals the person. We find out about ourselves. We get desperate. Well, if you're me, you do. Get me out. God says, no way. I've just spent a lot of time and money getting you in there. I'm not going to take you out. So we come to confession and admission as we find no hiding place from the dealings of God. If anyone's ever heard Joyce Mayer on this, she is hysterically funny, and I can't, I can't say it the way she does, but she says she's this little, very decorated, pretty little jug on the top shelf of the shop. And these people come in and they look on this shelf and they see this jug and they say, oh, look, it's a pretty jug. You want to know how I got to be up here? And then she goes into it. <laughs> How he pushed and he shoved and he squeezed me to make me into this shape. And then he put me into the oven and he watched me go round. <laughs> and then he took me out and he painted on me and he put me back in again and it was even hotter. <laughs> and I went round and round. She's just so funny. It was all about somebody firing clay, you know. <laughs> right, so there we are. So we come to confession and admission as we find no hiding place from the dealings of God. And the prayer is, Holy Spirit, I give you total permission to search my heart. This morning before I came down, I was in such a state that I wanted to just lay on the floor before God. And he said, there's no need. I said, it's the only place I'm safe. It's flat on my face. Just go down. Because <laughs> I knew there was a fire in my belly this morning that I knew it was there and I was scared of what was going to come out I was afraid that it wouldn't come out in the way he wanted it to come out you know um, one of the things that my gifting is is it shows me where people are at because he has made me very keen in hearing I always say I hear with my eyes and I see with my ears it's the way it works with me because I see things when I hear things I might be getting the good face here but I hear and I hear I, I there are times when I wish I hadn't heard because then I hear and I hear from both directions at once so I'm getting a picture and I'm thinking, this is me. And he's saying, no, this is me. And I'm showing you that. So I get a word like I had today. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. Because it feels like it's being directed at people. Which it is. But I'm not doing the directing. It's his word being directed for his children. So that it will be received in the place that he wants it. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it's part of my gift. Um, it's nothing at all to do with me. Um, so um, don't be fearful of what you say around me. <laughs> it might make you feel like that. But it's just part of the gift. And it's not something that is a critical thing. It is, is there to show me where a mid-course correction needs to be made in the children for their good. So it's part, if you like, of the authority that he's given me to carry. That he nags me about if I don't use because I'd really rather climb under the table than actually do some of the things that I have to do sometimes and, and face them up because I don't like it but there we are it's all for the good because it's all positive and it's all redemptive but again 
it's the case of the truth when it comes is always negative. So one of my prayers is um, expose me. Deal with me severely. Be ruthless with me. Rick Joyner says that. And I think it's a good prayer. Deal with me severely. Correct me ruthlessly, Father. I do not want uh, to be stuck there with all my rubbish. Only a fool wants to stay with all that rubbish. So time spent in the wilderness is not punishment, it's preparation. It's a time of learning obedience. And when the Holy Spirit shows us an area that needs repentance, which is change your mind, we must overcome the instinct to defend ourselves because we actually double our trouble when we start defending and justifying ourselves. Mm. We must silence that little lawyer who steps out from a dark room in our minds pleading, my client is not so bad. <laughs> and your defence attorney will defend you until the day you die. And if you listen to him, you'll never see what is wrong in you, nor face what needs to change. For you to succeed in warfare, your self-preservation instincts must be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. For Christ alone is your true advocate with the Father. You are responsible for your life. You make choices and made choices. And some of your choices have resulted in your being in the wilderness by default and not by design. So take the responsibility and submit. Only you can put off all that God wants to do. What other people do or have done is irrelevant. It's how you respond. It's what comes out of me that's the real issue. That's what governs your territory. Soul power has to be broken. Sometimes we have every right, we would think, to react. But the fruit of the Spirit will cause you to respond. And that is where the, the Holy Spirit has to be in executive control. The story of the car was a real funny one, wasn't it? Because we bought this car, didn't you, the trustees? It was due to be delivered on the Saturday, I think, wasn't it? And then the Friday, just after six o'clock, when we had some visitors here, June rang me and said, it's not going to come tomorrow because they've lost the cheque and they haven't been able to get the tax disc so we won't be getting the car. So my fruit rose. <laughs> Have you got a phone number? So she gave me one. She said, I've never heard you like this before. I said, no, well, it's a bit of my old nature coming up, I'm afraid, dear. And if God doesn't get control over this, I'll have his head off at the neck. <laughs> I was not pleased with the way I, I was so angry. We had guests, Martin and Janice Richards were at the dinner table at the very time when the phone call came through. So I took a deep breath and I said, Holy Spirit, get hold of me before this man answers the phone because I'll just go for him and I knew it wouldn't be nice so he answered the phone and apologies 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 and I heard myself say look it's all right don't worry about it I'm ringing you to find out how we can talk this thing through and come to a resolution so that we get the car, you get the money, and everything's all right. I thought, 
So this poor man who was nearly having a breakdown on the other end of the phone, because he didn't need me to give him a breakdown, he was already having one. He said, in all my 20 years in the business, this has never happened. A setup. Does, have you ever been in a setup by God? Sets you right up for it. You know, beautiful, got these dear people for dinner, trying to put a good impression on with them. Don't ever try to do that. And this phone call comes, and I'm thinking, I'll kill him. And I find myself, I th oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, you are in control. I never got mad again. It went, all went down in the course of punching the number in and waiting for the response. He changed me completely. So the net result of that was I never did find the cheque. But I had to go rushing round on Monday morning to get two signatures for a new cheque. One of my trustees was due out, was due to go into Cyprus. The other one was going off on holiday, wasn't he? Yeah. Somewhere. Giles was off somewhere. John was off somewhere. So I had to grab... We only had four trustees. I had to grab June, who's just a trustee, and Robin, and get their signatures. And Robin's like a piece of soap. You've got to catch him. Get these signatures on. I had to stop the cheque. All this stuff had to be done on the Monday morning. God had a plan, though, didn't he? We, we got this car. Um, it was a motability car, is that it? Um, but it didn't have any extras on. It had no carpets, and it had ordinary hubcaps and one thing and another. So in order to placate us, he said, because I put June at the front then, I said, see, see if you can do, you know, talk something, negotiate something as your trustee. See if you can get a bit off the price as they discount com comforted us. So we got mats, which were to the value of about £100 I discovered afterwards because they're £39 each. We had four of those. And we got alloy wheels fitted. We got two tanks full of, of petrol. Uh, when you finish one, come back and get another one. And another key to the value of about 90 pounds I think we had about 300 quids worth of extras on the car but God set it up uh, and two bunches of flowers you got one and we got one didn't we and they delivered the car down here from Dartford wow. or basically he wherever it was thank you, Lord. so you know I mean but it could it, when I spoke to him afterwards I said did you have a good week I did thanks to your phone call he said you know if you hadn't yeah, yeah. He said, if you hadn't, if you hadn't phoned me, I'd have spent the whole, uh, whole weekend, you know, because I phoned him Monday morning and said, I've done this, 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 and this, and you, you, you'll have the cheque. And uh, and he released the car, didn't he, before he got the cheque? Because yeah. that was against his. Yes, but against the company policy, they don't release the car until they've got the cheque. Yeah, and it's cleared. Yes, which would have been another seven days. And we needed it to go somewhere. We were going to Frinton, weren't we? Wanted to sport our new motor over there, didn't we? <laughs> that's it, we needed the air conditioning, that's it, nothing else. But all the things in the normal situations of life, but that was a case of where I really meant it, Holy Spirit, you better come, you better move in here, I'll have them off at the neck. And I knew I still could, you know, because, but it, I'm not proud of it, but it's there. Um, but that's the old nature showing its little self. And that's what governs. The soul power has to be broken. It's got to be continuously submitted to the Holy Spirit so that the blighter doesn't come up and bite you or anybody else. <laughs> okay, making sense of the journey then. Every part of your history equips you for your destiny.
If you're in the wilderness by default, like Moses, he ran because he was found out, or Elijah, who fled because of Jezebel's threats, or by God's design, God took Jesus there. Whatever it is, God loves you and he's with you. We need to know God's ways with us, how he works with us, and understand the journey. God is taking you forward from the wilderness, not back. He is purposeful towards us. He's intentional towards us. And sometimes I wish he wasn't because you can't get away. But I don't mean that really. So he is purposeful and intentional towards us. We are not an amorphous mass. He sees each individual child and he has a plan. That uh, familiar scripture, Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven. I know the plans. We can run, but we can't hide. We have to learn to stop looking at circumstances and trying to run our own lives and look fully and completely to him. Who he is for you. How he's going to show up for you all the days of your life. He wants us transparent. Honesty, integrity and transparency, three words that I lived with for years and still do. What you see with me is what you get. I'm honest. As far as I'm able, I'm integrous. And the Lord would very quickly tell me if I wasn't. And I'm transparent. I, w I couldn't get away with anything because the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me do it. Uh, and I remember saying those three words to a leader of a church that we were in all of us some time ago. And he sort of cringed. I said, the Lord's just working on me with these. I call it hit. You know, honesty, integrity and transparency. So that's where he'll bring us to. Because that's what it lacks out there. There's very little honesty, even less integrity and certainly no transparency. And one of the things my ears pick up when I'm talking to Christians is their fleetness of foot when they're talking. They'll say one thing and then a minute you might challenge that. Oh, and a minute later they they're bit of swift footwork and they're over here and I'm thinking but you just said that back there you want to listen to what you're saying because you just contradicted it along here and that is one of the ways where my gift works I can hear the swift fit footwork so I'm not criticizing them but I'm thinking something is being justified or covered up here because that's why we've got swift footwork we're trying to cover up what we just said back there by saying, oh, but I this, it, that, and the next thing up here. That's fine. We're all on a journey. I just happen to see it, that's all. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I didn't. So no double-mindedness. The double-minded man, it says in James, is unstable in all his ways. Double-mindedness is having one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Like old Peanut, do you remember Peanut? He didn't know whether he got a renewed mind or not show you peanut one of these days the wilderness is a place of purpose it's where he meets us head on and it's a profound place of knowing that god is with you and that scripture my presence will go with you and i will give you rest exodus 33 14 it's a heart place he deals with our hearts there for years, God gave me that scripture, Exodus 33:13. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I didn't understand. It's what Graham would call an inheritance word. It was, part, it was a word for my part of my journey right then. 
I didn't understand that. All I knew was that wherever I went, that word cropped up. I'm beginning to understand now. So the last bit of this, I think, is being intentional towards God. It's pretty obvious, isn't it, by now? God is always intentional towards us. And Graham Cook's latest stuff is all about God's intentionality towards us, as he calls it. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives, and it's not that we should just pass our lives aimlessly, but that we should be alive and free and oriented times four. For those of you who weren't here yesterday, I used a piece out of, uh, what's his name, Eldridge's book about um, whether you're alive and free is whether you're conscious or not. That poor Sarah, when she banged her head, I said, alarm, an oriented time zero. She said, who are you? <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> ah, but we should be alive and oriented times four. And right now, his intentionality towards us is that we should come towards him, believing, asking, knowing that he has our best interests at heart, knowing that he has good things in store. When we be, start being fully intentional towards him, things begin to happen in our lives that we could have only dreamed. And Psalm 1261 says, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. As we found on the first day of this school, wholeheartedness towards him results in his being able to be wholehearted towards us. It's not that he's ever anything else, but our lack of zeal for the things of God and our zeal for other things prevents his blessing coming fully to us. And we're in a season of complete change, beloved, where God is moving through the earth in such a mighty way that you'd have to be blind not to see the change that's taking place around us. The church will never be the same again. Just recently the Lord gave me a prophecy and many of you will know this in your hearts already. It's not a new word, it's a now word. And what he said is, there is a separation coming between light and darkness, between my people and the world. I am removing all that causes offence, winnowing, separating, wheat and chaff. Much of what passes for wheat is chaff. I'm coming with wheat, food for my people not the chaff of man's opinion and values. My church is filled with chaff, with the wood, hay and stubble of fleshly effort. Tell my people I am coming. My fan is in my hand to winnow out the chaff, all that is unsightly from their lives. They will be my beautiful bride, my treasure, my inheritance. I am coming to expose all ungodliness in my people's lives. This is not judgment, this is my purifying my bride. So it's not judgment when his hands is heavy on your life and when he starts exposing stuff, it's purifying. So we need to understand his ways and cooperate with what he's doing when we're in the wilderness by design or default. God bless.